Turn with me in your Bibles to our scripture passage. It is Matthew chapter 15. I will read uh, verses 1 through 20 to you, but our scripture, our our text for today is actually uh, verses 10 through 20. We covered 1 through 9 last time we were together, but it's important to read the whole section. So this is the Word of God. It has no errors in the uh, original language in which it was written. It has everything that you and I need for life and godliness. Listen reverently to it. Some Pharisees, then some Pharisees and scribes, came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. For God says, For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God, he is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And after he called the multitude to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter answered and said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Amen. Pray with me.
O Lord, we rejoice, Lord, that you are a speaking God. You could have merely given us um, the revelation of the creation and nothing more. Um, and we would have been left to our own devices to try to understand who you are uh, and what your will is for us and uh, how we would uh, be made right with you and and we would have been not been able to do so and would have all died in our sins. But Lord, you are a speaking God and you have spoken words of grace and mercy to us through your Son and his word. We thank you for this portion that we are about to look at. We ask that you would guide us, please guide me. Uh, Would you please forbid that I should uh, say anything that would be contrary to what you have written here and elsewhere? And would you please instruct us? Would you please rebuke us? Uh, Yet with gentleness, please, if you do so. Would you please encourage us? Uh, Would you please draw us closer to your holy heart through your Son as a result of this time? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, um, how often have you ever heard your parents tell you after you have been someplace where there were lots of people like, say, Walmart or someplace like that, um, have... How often have you heard your parents tell you after you've been to a place like that, you need to go, when you get home, you need to go and wash your hands. And especially tell you that before you're about to eat something. Um, I heard that a lot as a kid. Uh, some parents maybe are more particular about that than others are, but probably most of you parents, uh, students, students, uh, young people at one point or another have heard your parents tell you, go wash your hands. Um, you need to get the germs off your hands. Um, do you know why they want you to wash your hands? Well, besides getting the germs off. Why are germs a problem? Well, germs, not all of them are this way, but a lot of germs, are those are little bugs that you can't even see. They're really, 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 really small. And you can't see them. They're actually, uh, some of them are single-celled. But they, uh, they can make you sick. Um, if you get them into your mouth, they can make you sick. Um, and... So your parents tell you to wash your hands so that you don't, uh, where you've touched a germ somewhere out in public, you don't take those home, eat a, eat a sandwich with it and get those germs inside of you and then get sick as a result of, as a result of that. So you are told by your parents, uh, to wash your hands so you won't get sick. Well, kids, while there are some sicknesses that you can get by touching Germs by touching things that have germs on them that other people have touched. There are also sicknesses that you can't transfer to another person through germs because they're not caused by germs. And so, out uh, things that you can touch that, let's say, somebody who has has this kind of sickness that can't be transferred by germs, they touch, say, this podium, and then you or I can touch that podium, and we're not going to get their sickness. The reason is that we're not going to get their sickness is because the cause of their sickness is inside. It's not a result of germs that are outside of them that get into them, like the cold is. That's how the cold is caused. 
germs that get into us and then cause us to be sick. But the, the second type of sickness that I'm talking about is caused by internal issues, not by external issues. Um, and it's caused by stuff that's happening on the inside. Um, and spiritual sickness, kids, is a lot like this. Spiritual sickness is like this second kind of bodily sickness that is caused by stuff inside of us, not by stuff outside of us. And you'll understand why I'm talking about this here in a minute. But in this particular text that we're looking at, it talks about spiritual sickness. Spiritual sickness and its cause, which is not things that are outside of us that we touch, but things that are inside of us, in our heart. And so that's what this text is about. Jesus, in this text, as you heard when I read it, he is at least in the first part of it, verses 1 through 9, he is rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees for being more concerned that uh, that people, that they themselves and that other people that they uh, uh, have charge over, spiritual charge over, the scribes and the Pharisees are more concerned that people uh, obey their scribal traditions than they are about the people obeying God's word, obeying God's commandments. And Jesus is furious at them. He calls them hypocrites. And they certainly were. Uh, they were godless people who were dressed up in religious clothing and, and had religious titles, but they were godless people. They were servants, actually, of the evil one. And Jesus, here in this text, says, you're blind guides of blind people who listen to you. And he warns his audience, he says, don't listen to them. Leave them alone, he says. Uh, let the blind guides, verse 14, let the blind guides of the, uh, they are blind guides of the blind, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So his point is, don't you people out there who are listening, don't listen to these guys. They don't know what they're talking about. And he has just been rebuking them for this, their, uh, their emphasis on obeying what the uh, elders and the rabbis of old and the scribes of old had taught over the uh, over the years that weren't biblical. Okay, so this brings me finally to the uh, the two points that we see in this text. Um, there are two of them. First is this: nothing, nothing that originates outside of a man or woman, man generically speaking, nothing that originates outside of a man can defile him. Morally, nothing. This text teaches that. This text also teaches that only what originates within a man can defile him morally. Only what originates within a man in his heart can defile him morally. So first, nothing that originates outside of a man can defile him morally. This is contrary. That, that statement right there is contrary to what most of the Jews of Jesus' day thought. Most of the Jews thought otherwise because their leaders thought otherwise and were teaching them otherwise. They were under the mistaken impression because of what their leaders taught them, uh, these scribes and Pharisees and others like them in the past. They were under the mistaken impression that a person can become unclean, that is to say morally defiled and therefore guilty in the eyes of God, that a person can become morally unclean merely by coming into physical contact with an object or a person that was ceremonially unclean. 
as defined by the Old Testament scriptures, the Mosaic Law in particular. And they thought you can become morally unclean if you become ceremonially unclean. And they taught people this. And so you don't want to be unclean ever. Uh, and anytime you get unclean, even ceremonially, you're, you're morally unclean too. Now, ceremonial uncleanness did point to moral and spiritual uncleanness in the Old Testament. It was designed to make people aware that God hates sin. That's why the ceremonial categories of ceremonial uncleanness were created by God and given to the people. So that they would understand God hates uncleanness. And this is a, this is a uh, picture of spiritual uncleanness, the ceremonial uncleanness. But they're not the same thing. Now, a faithful Jew in the Old Testament era, who was a, a believer in Jehovah and also in his coming Messiah, his coming uh, Savior that was promised in the Old Testament, he would try really hard to keep the ceremonial laws. Okay? And he was supposed to. That was part of uh, indication of his, of his love for God and his uh, changed heart. But at any rate, the point was, the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees taught you are morally uh, defiled when you uh, touch something that is ceremonially unclean. So in other words, they were teaching that certain objects or people, like Gentiles, were morally defiling per se, by their very nature. They were morally defiling by the, by the way it was made, whether it be a Gentile or, or a pig. Um, and it caused anybody who came into contact with that person or that object to also become morally contaminated. And they wrongly derived that conclusion from the purity laws that uh, I've just been referencing here that God gave the Old Testament uh, church. They misunderstood them. At any rate, um, nothing that originates outside of a man, outside of his body, can defile him morally, including anyone or anything that he might come into contact with. For example, in the marketplace or anywhere else. Um, let me just read to you Mark's version of this event, of this episode. Um, Mark's account, he says, uh, I'll read four verses, the first four verses of Mark chapter 7. So you uh, see the references to what's going on in the marketplace. Uh, and the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered together around him, Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. And then he says in parentheses, for the... Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And he goes on. But you see, this was about going out into public places like the marketplace in particular and uh, touching stuff. And the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jewish people in, at large were concerned about that because, oh, I might come into co- in contact with something that I shouldn't touch that might make me unclean because it's ceremonially unclean. Well, the marketplace was one of those places. It was a gathering for a gathering place for all types of people, including lapsed Jews, that is, Jews who were not uh, who were ceremonial ceremonially unclean themselves because they just didn't care enough to get clean. There was a process by which you got clean and they just didn't care enough uh, and they were 
uh, unbelieving Jews, presumably, uh, those who were uh, in that state. But the uh, marketplace would be contain people like that. It would also be Gentiles that would be there who would want to be buying things or selling things and would touch things. And they were uncircumcised, and so they were unclean by their very, you know, uh, by Old Testament definitions of uncleanness. And so if... Uh, so the marketplace was looked upon by a strictly observant Jew of Jesus' day as a particularly defiling place, or potentially defiling place. Uh, you never knew who or what you were going to come into contact with. So, if a strict Jew uh, had to go to the marketplace to buy something, he would, upon his return home, always thoroughly wash his hands and perhaps his feet as well before eating, uh, so as not to defile himself. Two problems with that practice. Okay, First is, nowhere was that practice required by God in the Old Testament scriptures, not even in the Mosaic law, the first five books. Now there were, there were a few types of ceremonial washings required of the common man. There were others that were required of the priests, but there were a few required of the common man by the Mosaic law, ceremonial washings. But those washings were limited to certain easily recognizable and very limited situations. Okay? But the scribes uh, and Pharisees uh, and their predecessors in Paul's day and prior had added numerous other mandatory washings to the short list found in Scripture for people to observe, including the washings, uh, the washing rather, that Jesus is condemning here on this occasion. The washing of their hands after returning from the marketplace. So, nowhere was it required in scripture. It was a, it was a human tradition, uh, rabbinical tradition. And second, the second problem with this practice was it rested upon the assumption, I've already alluded to this, that a person's moral standing and their acceptability before God was largely a matter of external behaviors, of what they did or did not come into contact with, and whether or not they were keeping the ceremonies just right. And then if you kept the ceremonies just right, you were good with God. That was not true. And Christians today, you and I, can fall into a similar trap to that of the Jews of Paul's, of Jesus' day, rather. And yes, Paul's day also. By, for example, looking down on certain classes of people uh, and thinking that we shouldn't associate with certain people who uh, don't have lifestyles that we think are moral, uh, who don't act the way we do or have the same cultural uh, um, understanding of things that we do. And that is evil. That is evil. It is not biblical. It is not the way Christians are supposed to act. And we are to be willing to associate with anybody and not distance ourselves from them uh, because they are different than we are or because they're living a particularly sinful lifestyle. Now, now don't get me wrong. They're not to be your best friends. Um, our best friends are to be believers. Um, but but we are to interact with people like that. Jesus did. We must, and not with um, 
not with um, a sense of, um, what's the word, uh, superiority as we do so. People smell that a mile away. We need to love people. We need to uh, not be afraid of uh, interacting with somebody who, uh, um, whose lifestyle God doesn't approve of or we don't approve of. Um, that's not the way to treat them. We must have compassion and kindness for everyone. Um, and think of, not think of somebody as unclean. Secondly, not only does it include uh, this, uh, this, the fact that nothing originates outside of man that defile him, not only does it include things a person might come into contact with, bump into, touch, but also this text makes it clear that it includes anything that somebody might take into their body, ingest, or some other way but primarily through ingestion. So it would include uh, uh, food, obviously. That's the context here. Uh, uh, eating un, uh, unclean food because one took it in with unwashed hands. Um, unclean as the, as the uh, scribes and Pharisees defined it. But this includes food that is eaten with unwashed hands. It also includes the flesh of creatures, of animals, that God had once forbidden the Jewish people to eat under the Mosaic Covenant. There was a list. Pigs were on that list. And there were a bunch of other stuff that was on that list, too. You couldn't eat a vulture. You couldn't eat, and I wouldn't eat one today either. But uh, you you couldn't eat it back then. Uh, And things, uh, similar uh, types of animals. Such creatures, though ceremonially defiling to anyone who touched them or ate them back in the Old Testament period... Those kinds of creatures did not have, by their nature, by the way that God made them, the ability to contaminate somebody. You didn't get contaminated by uh, by touching a pig or eating a pig because of the pig's makeup as a pig. What made uh, what made a person contaminated? Contamination only resulted uh, on account of the command that God had given respecting the pig. It was a temporary command. It was a temporary command during the Mosaic Covenant era. And that's when it was in force. God said, pigs are ceremonially unclean. God said, vultures and eagles are ceremonially unclean. I believe rabbits is on that list. Ostriches, others. Uh, and, And it was that command that made it ceremonially unclean, not the nature of the beast that God gave the command respecting. And then, when Jesus comes and revokes these divine prohibitions that had been on some of these animals, and that's what he is doing in this passage, by the way, in uh, uh, in Matthew 15 and Mark 7, when Jesus, when he revokes those divine prohibitions, he, in effect, and we learn this from Mark's account, declares all foods, anything that somebody might eat, any creature that somebody might be tempted or want to eat. Uh, that had previously been contaminated under the Old Covenant legislation, he's saying, it's all clean, it's all good. Go ahead and eat anything you want to. There's no longer any divine strictures or prohibitions on any animal or beast. Now, you don't want to eat blowfish. Uh, anybody know about blowfish? You eat them, it kills you. If you isn't very, very, very carefully cleaned. Uh, and it's a, it's a roll of the dice even then, I believe. Um, so you don't want to do that, uh, but but anything is you know okay with God to eat if you can if you can eat it without killing yourself. So what's the result of Jesus removing these prohibitions? 
that were uh, temporarily in place under the Mosaic economy, the Mosaic covenant, the result was that nothing, nothing that enters the body of a New Testament believer, including you and me, from outside, can make us unclean in God's sight, ceremonially or otherwise. Nothing. Now, having said what I just said, the way we use such things as food, alcoholic beverages, narcotics, other drugs, tobacco products, the way we use them can undoubtedly be sinful. But the thing itself is not sinful. It's the way we use, or better, abuse those things that is sinful, that makes the activity involving that substance sinful. Not the, not the, uh, the substance itself. But these items, again, cannot make us unclean by the tobacco. The tobacco leaf is not evil. A beer is not evil. The way we use such things, uh, uh, or the poppy plant, uh, is what makes it evil. And this was the truth that the disciples, Paul, uh, uh, Jesus makes it quite clear in verses 15 and 16, they should have figured this out. They should have known this by now. They'd been around him long enough. Uh, and they did understand, we learned by their behavior, they apparently did understand that the washings required by scribal tradition were invalid. That's why they ate with unwashed hands, presumably. Because they knew this doesn't, God's not concerned about this. They figured that one out already. But they apparently hadn't yet understood that the Old Testament's purity laws, pigs and vultures and so on, uh, had also been done away with by Christ. They didn't figure that one out yet. And Jesus makes, when, when Paul, Peter says, explain the parable to us, Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? As if to say, Peter, you should be, you should have grasped this by now. And we need to grasp that truth as well. Secondly, and more briefly, uh, not only is nothing that originates outside of a man that which can defile him morally, but only what originates within a man can defile him morally. And that would be those things, deeds, that uh, proceed out of a man's heart. They may become evident by what he says out of his mouth, out of his mouth, words, uh, or by what he does, by implication as well. That is, uh, but in this text, it's talking about coming out of his mouth because it's unclean because it originates in his heart. But that includes anything that, um, and it would include a deed as well as words. What's the heart? Quickly, the heart is the innermost self. It is the soul. They're one and the same. The source of all your feelings, all your thoughts, all your inclination, all your inclinations, all your actions, all those things, your words, all originate from the heart. Uh, and the heart is that which determines the orientation and the direction and the inclination of your behavior and your life. According to Solomon, the issues of life flow from the heart. Proverbs 4.23, many of you are familiar with that verse. The issues of life flow from the heart. It is the, it is the uh, innermost self. It's what makes you who you are in terms of 
your attitude and your your uh, personality. Why is it that the things that proceed from a man's heart uh, are un, are defiled? Rather, and I'll say they're uh, a man without a belie- without a believing heart. Why is it that such things that proceed from a heart are defiled? And that is because the heart itself is defiled, morally polluted, and um, and offensive to God. Uh, prior to convert, being converted to uh, uh, faith in Christ. Jeremiah, Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Man in Adam is that way. I'm not going to take time now, but there's a summary of this problem, of the heart problem, that's found in Romans 3, verses 10 through 18. Many of you know the, with all those quotations from the Old Testament that speak of the uh, things proceeding from the heart and the evil of man. Um, that's a good summary of the heart problem that all men are conceived and born with. And anything that flows out of that polluted reservoir or spring of the heart is vile, is contaminated morally, is sinful. And Paul, uh, Jesus rather, uh, Matthew, lists some of the things that, uh, that uh, Jesus uh, gave as illustrative of what comes out of the heart. And, and Mark men, uh, mentions a few others. And I'm gonna, I'll, I'll list the ones here just briefly. He mentions evil thoughts. That proceeds from the heart. Uh, these are a person's plans, a purpose, person's purposes, or inner reasonings. All sinners uh, have defiled thoughts, have evil thoughts, which give rise to evil actions. Uh, Solomon tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So that's what he is, uh, is what his heart dictates. And this is why it is so important that we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because... Um, uh, we are prone, because of the old man that still dwells within the heart of every believer, we are prone to uh, run back to uh, our old behaviors, our old, our own thought, our old uh, thoughts, and our, our evil ways. Uh, and so we are to guard our hearts. We are to uh, watch over them diligently uh, that we might not return to the cesspool of our former ways. Not only do evil thoughts proceed out of a man's heart, murders, we are told by Jesus. The unlawful taking of human life. Not all taking of human life is unlawful. There are exceptions. Um, uh, capital punishment is one of them. Um, and uh, self-defense is another. But things such as uh, modern practices such as abortion, obviously euthanasia, uh, doctor-assisted suicide, these are all examples of murderous behavior. A suicide is murderous behavior. Uh, and this would include, um, I already mentioned suicide. And, the, and so all the emotions uh, and thoughts that lie behind such acts, hatred, anger, those too are, uh, are uh, part of what it means to be murderous in one's heart. When we hate, when we uh, have uh, unrighteous anger that wells up within us, we are being murderous at that point in time. When that's directed, that anger is directed at another person. Adulteries and fornications are mentioned by our Lord. These are, of course, uh, these two words would summarize all sexual immoralities of any kind, of any nature, uh, whether it be inside or outside the bonds of marriage. So that would include premarital sex, 
Um, that'll include sexual fantasies about someone other than somebody who is your spouse. Legitimate spouse, I might add. Um, wandering eyes. We men struggle with this more than you ladies do uh, on average, uh, generally speaking. Wandering eyes are fit into this category of adulteries and fornications. Pornography, obviously. Uh, telling and listening to off-color jokes. We shouldn't talk. We, certain t- we shouldn't tell coarse jokes. And we shouldn't listen as Christians to coarse jokes. It is a violation of the seventh commandment. Thefts, Jesus mentions. That is taking anything that doesn't belong to you, whether it be from men or from God. Cheating on your taxes. Yes, our government wastes enormous amounts of our tax money, but that's not an excuse for us not to give it to them. And they spend it on stuff sometimes that's ungodly. Render under Caesar what is Caesar's. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. We are to not cheat on our taxes. We are to not fail to pay back uh, money that we have borrowed from somebody. And just think because, well, they haven't reminded me of the fact that I owe them the money that somehow maybe I can get away with just not paying it back. It's evil. Christians should not, must not act that way. Stealing pens from work, all that kind of stuff. Wrong. Not right behavior. And this is part of what emanates from a sinful heart. And also we can steal from God, can't we? Whenever we are not giving a tenth of what we have to God... We are stealing from him. I'll let you figure that out uh, yourself as to what that constitutes. But the tithe has not been uh, retracted. Also, when we uh, do not spend regular time with the Lord in uh, availing ourselves of the means of grace, prayer and Bible study, we are stealing time from God that he deserves and indeed uh, we are required to render to him. Jesus mentions false witness, all attempts to mislead other people, to misrepresent or to deny the truth are examples of such evil. Slander, that is scornful and abusive verbal attacks on uh, another person, oftentimes behind his back, but not always necessarily behind his back. Uh, That is evil behavior and um, stuff that we must not engage in ourselves. And Mark lists several others in his more expansive list of sins that originate in the heart. He mentions sensuality, which is a lack of self-control that's characterized, characterizes those who allow their behavior to govern by their, their um, unholy appetites, whether it be for food, sleep, uh, whatever it might be, uh, 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 sexual, of a sexual nature or whatever. Envy, Jesus mentions, uh, being frustrated and angry that somebody else has something. Uh, pride, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Foolishness, foolishness, being foolish is a sin. Uh, that is exhibiting senseless, immature, irrational thoughts and behaviors is a sin. Many of us don't think of it that way, but it is. It's listed in Mark's list. And then coveting uh, every form of greed, including being discontented with what God has given us or our lot in life that he has providentially given to us. All of these sins that I've just listed are latent in the heart of every single one of us here. Every single one of us. It's latent in our hearts. And it is for this reason that every sinner 
needs a new heart. The kind of heart of which Ezekiel spoke in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, 24, we read the following. He said, For I will take, God speaking here, I will take you from the nations. He's talking to Israel of old. He's saying, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into uh, your own land. And this is a... Uh, this is a prophecy of uh, ultimately of the uh, New Testament age, uh, and what, uh, uh, but but not just of the New Testament age. I'll just keep reading. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That is a picture of the regeneration that God affects in the heart, not just of New Testament believers, but also even of Old Testament believers in his, in the day when Ezekiel wrote those words. The point is we need a new heart because we all start out uh, dead in sin, filthy, uh, having idols in our hearts and hating God. We're all conceived that way and born that way. And unless we get a new heart, um, we will always be have a heart that spews out evil thoughts, words, and deeds. We need a heart that is undefiled that is clean in the sight of our holy heavenly judge and uh, we need that heart because it is only with such a heart that we will be acceptable in his sight in the day of judgment or now in this world. And it's only with such a heart that we will be welcomed into heaven when we depart from this world. And such a heart is one that has been cleansed, as Ezekiel was saying in his, uh, quoting the Lord there, that has been cleansed by the application to that heart of Jesus' precious blood representing his sacrifice of himself to pay the penalty for our sins, to take hell in our place. A heart that has been cleansed with Jesus' precious blood and that has been cloaked in Jesus' perfect righteousness. His perfectly obedient life credited to that heart. And if we do not have that heart, when we leave this world, we will be eternally damned by God for our sinful, defiled hearts and all that has proceeded from them throughout our lives. And all of us are in that place. And it's only Jesus who can rescue us from our uh, what we deserve, for the hell that we deserve. God alone can give you a heart by his grace that is like that heart. God alone can give you, cause you to see that you need Jesus and you need to turn from your wicked ways and you need to flee to Jesus and trust Him to make you right with God and to cleanse your heart and to uh, and uh, to change your life. Only Jesus can do that. And only God can give you the desire for Him. Do you have that desire? Do you have that desire to give your whole life to Jesus? To trust Him to change you? To forgive you? to make you a new person? If you do, then you need to trust Christ right now. And if you don't, you need to keep coming to church until God gets a hold of you. 
Because only God can change you. Only God. But He's in the business of changing people. And He can change and has changed countless sinners before. Praise the Lord, He's done that for many of us here today. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You that You are in the business, as I often say, of changing lives. You're in the business of giving new hearts to those whose hearts are stone cold and dead. Thank You that You did that for many of us already. Lord, we ask that You would help us to realize that there is nothing that commends us to you that comes from within us. Even as Christians, um, our good works are still uh, soiled by imperfections. And you have to clean those up in order for them to please you. Nothing that just emanates from us, untouched by the cross of Christ, can please you, can merit your forgiveness, or can merit our entrance into heaven. Only Jesus. And we are so grateful, Lord, that you are willing to save sinners like us. We pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you savingly, Lord Jesus has not given you his or her life and fled to you alone for forgiveness and eternal life, would you please grant such a change today? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.